Hi, I'm Eric, and this is Listen to Sleep, quiet stories and meditations to help you find a little peace at bedtime or anytime. There's something about the turn of the seasons that seems to kindle memories in me. I remember as a child hating raking the leaves in the yard. I grew up on the East Coast, and we had a lot of them. But I loved playing in the big piles that we made out of all the leaves that we raked up. Here on the mountain, we don't rake because we don't have a lawn. But the leaves are starting to fall, and the acorns bang against the deck and the cabin roof day and night as they fall randomly from the oaks. Everyone is a reminder that change is in the air. And change is in the air for me, career-wise, too. This week, I'll be announcing my first live online mindfulness class in the newsletter this Wednesday. I would announce it today, but everything's not quite settled yet. It's on a topic that is near and dear to my heart and is probably the one gift of my mindfulness practice that stands out the most. There's going to be special early bird pricing available, so if you haven't joined the newsletter list, you can do that on the website at listentosleep.com and you'll be among the first to find out. As always, I want to thank you all for the support you give to both the podcast and to me personally. I'm so happy to be a part of this wonderful community of folks. And I want to thank everyone who joined the Patreon this week. Thank you, Marianne, Anna, Megan, Luca, Claire, Tala, and Anne. If these sleepy stories help you, I'd really appreciate your support to help keep the podcast going. And I've got some perks for you, like a free Alice in Wonderland audiobook read by me that you get when you subscribe to the ad-free version of the podcast for just 75 cents a week. For another 50 cents a week, you can also get an extra episode where I read longer books serially on Wednesday nights. Right now, we are almost at the end of Treasure Island, and I'm a little sad about it. But we're going to be starting up with a new book. Uh, let's see, it'll be the week after next. So um, if you want to find out what that is, now's a good time to sign up for Listen to Sleep Plus. Or if you'd rather not have a monthly subscription, you can buy any of the sleepy classic audiobooks I've read already a la carte for just $5.50 each on listentosleep.com. And you get an MP3 download that you can share with family and friends with no restrictions on it like normally come with audiobooks. Or if you'd like, you can also just leave a tip and you'll get an email with a couple of special surprises when you do that. Your support, along with that of the advertisers, helps me to continue to make two free episodes of Listen to Sleep every week 
to help folks all over the world get a little better sleep at night and a little more peace during the day. This week, I'll be reading a couple of Seneca's letters to Lucilius. Seneca was a Roman Stoic philosopher, statesman, and dramatist. Let's take a deep breath in and out. Just letting go of the day, feeling yourself sink deep down into the mattress with the weight of gravity just pulling you down. Another deep breath in and out. Nothing to do, nowhere to go, no one to be. This is quiet time, time to rest. One more deep breath in and out. If you get tired while I'm reading to you, that's okay. Just let yourself drift off. On Brawn and Brains The old Romans had a custom which survived even into my lifetime. They would add to the opening words of a letter, If you are well, it is well. I also am well. Persons like ourselves would do well to say, If you are studying philosophy, it is well. For this is just what being well means. Without philosophy, the mind is sickly, and the body too, though it may be very powerful, is strong only as that of a madman or a lunatic is strong. This, then, is the sort of health you should primarily cultivate. The other kind of health comes second, and will involve little effort if you wish to be well physically. It is indeed foolish, my dear Lucilius, and very unsuitable for a cultivated person to work hard over-developing the muscles and broadening the shoulders and strengthening the lungs. For although your heavy feeding produce good results and your sinews grow solid, you can never be a match, either in strength or in weight, for a first-class bull. Besides, by overloading the body with food, you strangle the soul and render it less active. Accordingly, limit the flesh as much as possible and allow free play to the spirit. Many inconveniences beset those who devote themselves to such pursuits. In the first place, they have their exercises, 
at which they must work and waste their life force and render it less fit to bear a strain or the severer studies. Second, their keen edge is dulled by heavy eating. Besides, they must take orders from slaves of the vilest stamp, men who alternate between the oil flask and the flagon, whose day passes satisfactorily if they have got up a good perspiration and quaffed to make good what they have lost in sweat, huge drafts of liquor, which will sink deeper because of their fasting. Drinking and sweating, it's the life of a dyspeptic. Now there are short and simple exercises which tire the body rapidly, and so save our time, and time is something of which we ought to keep strict account. These exercises are running, brandishing weights, and jumping, high jumping or broad jumping, or the kind which I may call the priest's dance or in slighting terms, the clothes cleaner's jump. Select for practice any one of these, and you will find it plain and easy. But whatever you do, come back soon from body to mind. The mind must be exercised both day and night, for it is nourished by moderate labor and this form of exercise need not be hampered by cold or hot weather, or even by old age. Cultivate that good which improves with the years. Of course, I do not command you to be always bending over your books and your writing materials. The mind must have a change but a change of such a kind that it is not unnerved, but merely unbent. Riding in a litter shakes up the body and does not interfere with study. One may read, dictate, converse, or listen to another. Nor does walking prevent any of these things. You need not scorn voice culture, but I forbid you to practice raising and lowering your voice by scales and specific intonations. What if you should next propose to take lessons in walking? If you consult the sort of person whom starvation has taught new tricks, you will have someone to regulate your steps. Watch every mouthful as you eat, and go to such lengths as you yourself, by enduring him and believing in him, have encouraged his effrontery to go. What then, you will ask, is my voice to begin at the outset with shouting and straining the lungs to the utmost? No. The natural thing is that it be aroused to such a pitch by easy stages, 
just as persons who are wrangling begin with ordinary conversational tones and then pass to shouting at the top of their lungs. No speaker cries, Help me, citizens, at the outset of his speech. Therefore, whenever your spirit's impulse prompts you, raise a hubbub, now in louder, now in milder tones, according as your voice, as well as your spirit, shall suggest to you when you are moved to such a performance. Then let your voice, when you rein it in and call it back to earth, come down gently, not collapse. It should trail off in tones halfway between high and low, and should not abruptly drop from its raving in the uncouth manner of countrymen. For our purpose is not to give the voice exercise, but to make it give us exercise. You see, I have relieved you of no slight bother, and I shall throw in a little complimentary present. It is Greek, too. Here is the proverb. It is an excellent one. The fool's life is empty of gratitude and full of fears. Its course lies wholly toward the future. Who uttered these words, you say? The same writer whom I mentioned before. And what sort of life do you think is meant by the fool's life? That of Baba and Isio? No. He means our own. For we are plunged by our blind desires into ventures which will harm us but certainly will never satisfy us. For if we could be satisfied with anything, we should have been satisfied long ago. Nor do we reflect how pleasant it is to demand nothing, how noble it is to be contented and not to be dependent upon fortune. Therefore, continually remind yourself, Lucilius, how many ambitions you have attained. When you see many ahead of you, think how many are behind. If you would thank the gods and be grateful for your past life, you should contemplate how many men you have outstripped. But what have you to do with the others? you have outstripped yourself. Fix a limit which you will not even desire to pass, should you have the power. At last, then, away with all these treacherous goods. They look better to those who hope for them than to those who have attained them. If there were anything substantial in them, they would, sooner or later, satisfy you. 
as it is, they merely rouse the drinker's thirst. Away with the fripperies which only serve for show. As to what the future's uncertain lot has in store, why should I demand a fortune that she give, rather than demand of myself that I should not crave? And why should I crave? Shall I heap up my winnings and forget that man's lot is unsubstantial? For what end should I toil? Lo, today is the last. If not, it is near the last. Farewell. On Groundless Fears I know that you have plenty of spirit. For even before you began to equip yourself with maxims which were wholesome and potent to overcome obstacles, you were taking pride in your contest with fortune. And this is all the more true now that you have grappled with fortune and tested your powers. For our powers can never inspire in us implicit faith in ourselves except when many difficulties have confronted us on this side and on that, and have occasionally even come to close quarters with us. It is only in this way that the true spirit can be tested. The spirit that will never consent to come under the jurisdiction of things external to ourselves. This is the touchstone of such a spirit. No prize fighter can go with high spirits into the strife if he has never been beaten black and blue. The only contestant who can confidently enter the lists is the man who has seen his own blood, who has felt his teeth rattle beneath his opponent's fist, who has been tripped and felt the full force of his adversary's charge, who has been downed in body but not in spirit, one who, as often as he falls, rises again with greater defiance than ever. So then, to keep up my figure, fortune has often in the past got the upper hand of you, and yet you have not surrendered, but have leapt up and stood your ground still more eagerly for manliness gains much strength by being challenged. Nevertheless, if you approve, allow me to offer some additional safeguards by which you may fortify yourself. There are more things, Lucilius, likely to frighten us than there are to crush us. 
we suffer more in imagination than in reality. I am not speaking with you in the stoic strain, but in my milder style. For it is our stoic fashion to speak of all those things which provoke cries and groans as unimportant and beneath notice. But you and I must drop such great-sounding words, although heaven knows they are true enough. What I advise you to do is not to be unhappy before the crisis comes, since it may be that the dangers before which you paled as if they were threatening you will never come upon you. They certainly have not yet come. Accordingly, some things torment us more than they ought. Some torment us before they ought, and some torment us when they ought not to torment us at all. We are in the habit of exaggerating or imagining or anticipating sorrow. The first of these three faults may be postponed for the present, because the subject is under discussion and the case is still in court, so to speak. That which I should call trifling, you will maintain to be most serious. For, of course, I know that some men laugh while being flogged, and that others wince at a box on the ear. We shall consider later whether these evils derive their power from their own strength or from our own weakness. Do me the favor when men surround you and try to talk you into believing that you are unhappy, to consider not what you hear, but what you yourself feel, and to take counsel with your feelings and question yourself independently, because you know your own affairs better than anyone else does. Ask, is there any reason why these persons should condole with me? Why should they be worried or even fear some infection from me, as if troubles could be transmitted? Is there any evil involved, or is it a matter merely of ill report rather than evil? Put the question voluntarily to yourself. Am I tormented without sufficient reason? Am I morose, or do I convert what is not an evil into what is an evil? You may retort with the question, how am I to know whether my sufferings are real or imaginary? Here is the rule for such matters. We are tormented either by things present or by things to come, or by both. As to things present, the decision is easy. Suppose that your person enjoys freedom and health, 
and that you do not suffer from any external injury. As to what may happen to it in the future, we shall see later on. Today, there is nothing wrong with it. But, you say, something will happen to it. First of all, consider whether your proofs of future trouble are sure. For it is more often the case that we are troubled by our apprehensions and that we are mocked by that mocker, rumor, which is wont to settle wars, but much more often settles individuals. Yes, my dear Lucilius, we agree too quickly with what people say. We do not put to the test those things which cause our fear. We do not examine into them. We blench and retreat, just like soldiers who are forced to abandon their camp because of a dust cloud raised by stampeding cattle, or are thrown into a panic by the spreading of some unauthenticated rumor. And somehow or other, it is the idle report that disturbs us most. For truth has its own definite boundaries. But that which arises from uncertainty is delivered over to guesswork and the irresponsible license of a frightened mind. That is why no fear is so ruinous and so uncontrollable as panic fear. For other fears are groundless, but this fear is witless. Let us then look carefully into the matter. It is likely that some troubles will befall us, but it is not a present fact. How often has the unexpected happened? How often has the expected never come to pass? And even though it is ordained to be, what does it avail to run out to meet your suffering? You will suffer soon enough when it arrives. So look forward, meanwhile, to better things. What shall you gain by doing this? Time. There will be many happenings, meanwhile, which will serve to postpone or end or pass on to another person the trials which are near or even in your very presence. A fire has opened the way to flight. Men have been let down softly by a catastrophe. Sometimes the sword has been checked even at the victim's throat. Men have survived their own executioners. Even bad fortune is fickle. Perhaps it will come, perhaps not. In the meantime, it is not. So look forward to better things. The mind at times fashions for itself false shapes of evil, 
when there are no signs that point to any evil. It twists into the worst construction some word of doubtful meaning, or it fancies some personal grudge to be more serious than it really is, considering not how angry the enemy is, but to what lengths he may go if he is angry. But life is not worth living, and there is no limit to our sorrows if we indulge our fears to the greatest possible extent. In this matter, let prudence help you, and contemn with a resolute spirit even when it is in plain sight. If you cannot do this, counter one weakness with another, and temper your fear with hope. There is nothing so certain among these objects of fear that it is not more certain still that things we dread sink into nothing, and that things we hope for mock us. Accordingly, weigh carefully your hopes as well as your fears, and whenever all the elements are in doubt, decide in your own favor. Believe what you prefer, and if fear wins a majority of the votes, incline in the other direction anyhow, and cease to harass your soul, reflecting continually that most mortals even when no troubles are actually at hand, or are certainly to be expected in the future, become excited and disquieted. No one calls a halt on himself when he begins to be urged ahead, nor does he regulate his alarm according to the truth. No one says the author of the story is a fool, and he who has believed it is a fool, as well as he who fabricated it. We let ourselves drift with every breeze. We are frightened at uncertainties, just as if they were certain. We observe no moderation. The slightest thing turns the scales and throws us forthwith into a panic. But I am ashamed either to admonish you sternly or to try to beguile you with such mild remedies. Let another say, perhaps the worst will not happen. You yourself must say, well, what if it does happen? Let us see who wins. Perhaps it happens for my best interests. It may be that such a death will shed credit upon my life. Socrates was ennobled by the hemlock draft. Wrench from Cato's hand his sword, the vindicator of liberty, and you deprive him of the greatest share of his glory. I am exhorting you far too long, since you need reminding 
rather than exhortation. The path on which I am leading you is not different from that on which your nature leads you. You were born to such conduct as I describe. Hence, there is all the more reason why you should increase and beautify the good that is in you. But now, to close my letter, I have only to stamp the usual seal upon it. In other words, to commit thereto some noble message to be delivered to you. The fool, with all his other faults, has this also. He is always getting ready to live. Reflect, my esteemed Lucilius, what this saying means, and you will see how revolting is the fickleness of men who lay down every day new foundations of life and begin to build up fresh hopes even at the brink of the grave. Look within your own mind for individual instances. You will think of old men who are preparing themselves at that very hour for a political career, or for travel, or for business. And what is baser than getting ready to live when you are already old? I should not name the author of this motto, except that it is somewhat unknown to fame and is not one of those popular sayings of Epicurus which I have allowed myself to praise and to appropriate. Farewell. Good night.